really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. I am your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, I'd love to hear from you. At least for now, I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. You can always drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So I think it's fair to say there was quite a bit of action this weekend. So why don't we get right to our normal weekly segments? So as always, we start with our current updates. And you know what? We got our first snow of the year this week. I, I honestly had no idea it was coming. And keep in mind, it was only a few days ago that we were all wearing shorts and sandals. Not even kidding with that. Um, naturally, it was all go- uh, gone by the time I got home from work that afternoon. But, you know, definitely a surprise for me. I, I suppose I could do something drastic like, I don't know, actually looking at the weather app on my phone. But I just don't have the time for the, such frivolity. So living in New England, you know, people are perpetually grumpy and pessimistic. And I always think of a comedian I saw a long time ago discussing um, this, this whole mass hole attitude. Yes, people in Massachusetts are known as mass holes. We even buy bumper stickers to proudly proclaim it. Uh, but he was saying, uh, if it's actually a nice day out and you are foolish enough to mention this to a mass hole, you're guaranteed to get one of two possible responses. The first is, yeah, well, we waited long enough. Or, my preference, the second option, which is, yep, not going to get many more of these. <laughs> oh, New England. I mean, at least we have the Free Jacks, right? He's stupid! He's stupid! People have to know! I don't know, Isaiah. I would say that the news is kind of bittersweet this week, as Connacht head coach Andy Friend has made it official that he is leaving the club at the end of this season to return home to Australia. So quoting here from the Irish Times, quote, Andy Friend will leave Connacht at the end of the current season. The province has confirmed the Australian first joined uh, joined Connacht in 2018 as head coach and has subsequently moved into a director of rugby role ahead of the ongoing campaign. Under his tenure, Connacht uh, reached both playoff stages in the URC and qualified for the Champions Cup, last season securing a path to the knockout stages for the first time in the province's history. My wife, Carrie, and I made the decision that our time at Connacht Rugby will finish at the end of the season, says friend. This was always on the cards when I signed my two-year extension in 2021. It's certainly not an easy decision to make, as we have both genuinely loved everything about our time here in the west of Ireland. From the minute we arrived, we were welcomed with open arms and made to feel very much part of a community and the rich history of the club. I'm very proud of what we've been able to achieve both on and off the field as a team since our arrival. And I'm driven to do everything in my power to ensure this season is the best one yet. The Connacht CEO added, We've been fully aware from when uh, from when Andy signed his last contract extension with us that this would be his last, and that he would be moving on at the end of the season. While we are sad to see him go, and he will be sorely missed across the organization, we are very thankful for all he has done for the province in the past five seasons, both on and off the field. There's that phrase again. In that time, he has led us to many successful days, 
buying into the Connect ethos and brand of rugby while overseeing significant changes to our professional player and coaching profiles. He also embraced life in the West of Ireland, engaging fully with our grassroots clubs across the province and all levels of our player pathway program. That is evident in the number of players that Andy has promoted from our academy to make their Connect debuts in recent years. Uh, that's the end of that quote. You know, while I was listening to Jerry Thornley, who was on, uh, who was a guest on Off the Ball this past week, you know, he mentioned that Andy Friend hadn't actually been home to Canberra in maybe three years due to the pandemic. That is, that is really difficult. It's hard to imagine. Uh, they also mentioned he apparently has a camper van and is trying to take in all these little places throughout Ireland and Europe in general just to see as much as he can before he goes, which sounds amazing. I wish I could, you know, sneak on board with him. In any event, as you all know, I root for Connacht, and he's done a great job there. So I'm sad to hear he's leaving, but you can't really fault the guy. And he's created a great legacy there to build on. Coach, thank you for all your time and effort, and good luck to you in your next chapter. So moving on to our thoughts of the week, and my thoughts this week were on the World Rugby Awards, which were handed out just this past weekend at a ceremony in Monaco. Quoting, as usual here, quote, Ireland's Josh Vanderfleer and New Zealand's Ruahe Demant have been named World Rugby Men's and Women's 15s Player of the Year 2022 um, at the, uh, the Rugby Awards in Monaco on Sunday on a night to remember in the iconic Salle des Etoiles, a ceremony under the high patronage of HSH Princess Charlene of Monaco. Sorry to laugh at you there, just there, Princess. Uh, but it saw the, the greats of the game, past and present, and the rugby family celebrate the outstanding achievement Achievers of the Year. Vanderfleer was named the World Rugby Men's 15s Player of the Year, the third Irish winner after Keith Wood in 2001 and Johnny Sexton in 2018. He received the award ahead of three other nominees in Mucano Am, Antoine Dupont, and Johnny Sexton of Ireland. Imagine if he'd gotten two, huh? New Zealand co-captain Ruhe Demant was at the heart of the Black Ferns' journey to Rugby World Cup 2021 winners on home soil, a constant threat to opposing defenses, she received the, the award ahead of four other nominees in teammate Portia Woodman, Canada captain Sophie de Goody, England flanker Alex Matthews, and France scrum half Laura Sansou. Uh, the recent World, uh, Rugby World Cup winning captain Demant said, Like most of our team, and like many players in New Zealand, I come from a very, very small place. To be able to put on the black jersey, it was a dream. I never knew about the Black Ferns growing up as a kid. I guess like most women my age, rugby's, uh, women's rugby was never accessible and was never something that you could kind of expire, uh, that you aspired to be like because you never had role models like that to look up to. I love that she's changed that. That's amazing. And that was one of the great things about this World Cup. It was free to air so everyone could watch it, but people could turn on the TV or go to the games and see people that look like them and so many strong women out there doing amazing, incredible things. We had a great bunch of girls who put their heart and soul and body on the line for everyone, regardless of whether or not they're playing. So we got the job done, but we also had a great time, a great lot of fun doing it as well, unquote. Well, that is just so cool. I'm getting a little chills just even reading it back. Very well deserved. Ms. Demand, by the way, it's also worth noting, is only 27 years old and is a lawyer by profession. I mean, geez, rub it in, why don't you? So the other awards handed out included, among others, I'm not going to do all of them, but of course the World Rugby Coach of the Year was Wayne Smith, big surprise. The World Rugby Men's Breakthrough Player of the Year was Ange Capuazzo, another huge surprise. And the World Rugby Women's Breakthrough Player of the Year was Ruby Tui. Yes! What great selections! Okay, that of course brings us to our reviews and, you know... 
I can't skip it, so I guess we'll start with the Repishage Tournament. Um, it did begin with Hong Kong versus Kenya this weekend. It, it Got to be perfectly honest here, I definitely didn't watch this one. Um, both of the final fixtures in the Repishage were in the morning of a workday, so I missed them as they happened, and then, you know, obviously I had to watch my Eagles first. And after that, going back and watching this match held no appeal at all. Though it, it, I did look it up and it was a close one. Hong Kong getting a try at the 68-minute mark to go ahead. And they would hold on to win it 22-18. to 18. Good stuff. Shout out to Kenya for how hard they competed throughout. It was a very steep hill. I imagine they'll be feeling very proud once the, you know, the sting of the losses goes away. But that led us, of course, to my USA Eagles against Portugal. This was an incredibly tough one to swallow. We looked disjointed. We kept getting in our own way throughout, giving away dumb penalties like tackling players away from the ball, you know, countless infringements at the breakdown, just coach killer after coach killer mistakes again and again. You know, for a while, <laughs> I started to get pretty annoyed at the officiating. It felt to me like we were being hard done by. You know, at one point, a ball clearly went you know obviously backwards and the ref somehow called it a knock on against us ruining any ruining ruining a really good potential scoring opportunity but going to be honest not long after that the ref completely missed an obvious forward pass by us and by the end i, I felt like you know what that officiating was diabolical all day but i think it was pretty evenly so so you know if you if you counted all the bad or incorrect rulings there'd be a lot of them but I think both teams probably benefited from roughly the same amount, if that makes sense. You know, what does still bug me, though, the, the tournament format, whereby a final match, a game with this much on the line, could come down to a draw. You know, maybe it's because I'm an American, but ties, especially when there's so much hanging in the balance, it's just not the way to go. Like, if ever a game needed extra time, this was it. Don't get me wrong. The way things have been going for us, and given our performance on the day, I feel sure we would have ended up losing in overtime anyway, but it would have been nice to at least, you know, play out to the end rather than just going to overall points differential. That just seems lunacy to me. So congrats to uh, Portugal on finding their way back to another World Cup. They've really worked hard for it. Their program looks in pretty good shape right now. As I sat there just stunned, trying to salvage my own mood through sort of mental spin doctoring. It did occur to me that this saves me the obligation of watching us get our asses handed to us four times in a row during the pool stages. So, Portugal, have fun with that. Either way, you know, USA, we have a long way to go if we want to represent ourselves well in 2031. Missing out on this World Cup makes us look pretty dumb at the moment, and I very much hope USA Rugby has a viable plan to turn things around. Uh, lastly, Congrats to Mitch Wilson, who may have been the overall MVP for the Eagles during this tournament. I can't wait to see him back at Fort Quincy in just a couple of months. As Bill Murray famously said in Scrooged, oh my gosh, does that suck? So thankfully, moving on, that does bring us to the Autumn Internationals or the Autumn Nations series as they've sort of rebranded it. We began with Italy versus South Africa. You know, I've been talking up how improved Italy have looked to me the last couple of years. And they obviously beat, you know, a ragged Wallabies team just last week. And they got their first ever win in Cardiff in the last six nations. But for me, this was going to be much, much different. You know, historically, Italy have beaten South Africa only once, exactly six years ago to the day, in fact, losing every other test against them since they first faced off in 1995. That one win came by just a two-point margin 
while the largest margin for the spring box was, wait for it, 101. On top of that, the box have just, lo- have just lost two tests in a row, something they aren't generally fond of doing, while the Azuri have won two in a row, something they're not generally fond of doing either. So I was guessing we was going to be back to our regularly scheduled program in this one. I was pretty surprised to see Cheslin Colby out in the, uh, in the lineup after getting dumped on his head last week, but sure enough, there he was, back on the wing. I wonder if his wife had any conspiracy theories about player welfare for this. <laughs> so the match itself, you know... I started watching this one after it had started. I was surprised to see it was Italy holding a small lead after 26 minutes. What a start to this weekend, right? Of course, the box right of the ship in the second half. I mean, you know, if you haven't seen it, take a look right around the 45-minute mark when Cheslin stole a restart and just whizzed in for another try. I mean, it was a piece of pure magic, though he did manage to tweak his hamstring in the process. So only three minutes later, it was... uh, Arensa. I, I almost completely botched that name. It was Arensa in the opposite corner. Bang, bang. The lead was 14 after uh, LeBoc's conversion in the oldest rugby stadium in Italy, by the way. Got to credit the South Africa fans for making the trip as well. There was a sizable contingency of supporters on hand. They really made themselves known. So at the end, as Kobus, uh, Kobus Reinick leapt in for yet another score, the, the comms proclaimed, and a little bit of icing on a very tasty Springbok cake. <laughs> I swear, I'm still giggling about that one. I'm not even sure why. It was a good old-fashioned triple-up, 21-63 to 63 for the visitors. And look at me, I got a prediction right. Woot! <laughs> uh, let's keep rolling with Wales versus Georgia from the Principality Stadium in Cardiff. After watching Squidge's breakdown of Georgia and then listening to him guest on the Scrum 5 podcast... I thought a lot more of their chances in this one. Um, if you haven't yet watched that video, well, first of all, if you need a hand getting that rock off of you, I can help. Uh, I mean, geez, come on. But uh, I did go looking for some history or stats between these teams, but they've only played each other three times before this weekend, so there wasn't a, wasn't a ton to go through. Uh, Wales, of course, had won each of their three encounters, two in Wales and one in Japan during the last Men's Rugby World Cup, which was their most decisive, in fact, getting the better of Georgia to the tune of 43-14. to Going into this one, it was hard to imagine Wales scoring 43 points against anyone, frankly, and I'm sure Georgia were looking to become the latest team to shock the Welsh on the international stage. So chatting with the aptly named Dr. Worthy on the Rock and Roll pod last week, he shared a fantastic insight that Georgia are the only country that doesn't call a try a try and call it instead they call it a lelo that of course sent me scampering over to wikipedia where i found quote the lelos as they are nicknamed are the national rugby union team of georgia the team's name comes from lelo an indigenous uh, georgian sport with strong similarities to rugby lelo has been adopted as the georgian word for try thanks doctor great stuff you really pointed me in a cool direction that time so as it unfolded Georgia would be the first on the board, but Wales, sporting their their, uh, alternative black kit, which I like, they would answer it was 7-3 after the first quarter of play. 40 minutes later, it was still just 12-3. And when Georgia got themselves a converted try, sorry, a converted Lalo, the spirits throughout the stadium dampened quite a bit. Sure enough, with under three minutes remaining, the Georgians lined up for a penalty that would give them the lead. I could feel the collective angst of Welsh fans everywhere. They even got a great shot of the Georgian coach, eyes shut and clearly just praying. And as it sailed through, their fans absolutely erupted. Wales, are you the most schizophrenic team in history? 
Uh, Georgia got pinged during a mall after the restart, and it looked like we were in for Wales' last chance. They had a great shot of Pivak just looking absolutely flabbergasted. What a roller coaster. Standing in the scrum, though, was the call against Wales, with Philippa Tuttiot saying, Wow, they absolutely annihilated that scrum. And I'm pleased to announce that I spelled annihilated right on the first try just now. So, strangeness at the very end, the ref blowing the whistle on the Georgian lineout, and the comms saying, Oh no, that wasn't straight. But the arm went up, indicating the call was against the home team, and that was that. The biggest victory in the history of Georgian rugby, just a shocking result. Quote, this joins the list, a list of Welsh horrors, intoned the comms. Canada, Romania, Western Samoa, Fiji. And as the players walked stunned through the cheering visitors, I've never seen a player looking more crestfallen than Tipperick. It, it honestly looked like he was about to cry. Just like, what a blow for Wales. My heart goes out to all my friends who have the misfortune of supporting them through the Pivak era. I mean, what's next? Maybe we should send our Eagles to play them just to find out if it's possible for two teams to lose the same match. Yeah, still a little bitter, bitter, I'd say. Yeah, uh, I don't want to end this without saying congrats to Georgia. What a day. I hope to see videos and all the scenes of the celebrations that are no doubt continuing even as I record this now. Such a good job. Holy cow. Congrats to you all. So next up, of course, was Scotland hosting Argentina. And you know what? I finally did something that I've been meaning to do for quite a while now. So I, as you probably know, truly love the Argentinian national anthem. It's totally unique, as many of my friends would say. It's very unique among the uh, usual refrains we hear with the long instrumental bit that seems to come to a full coda before the singing actually starts. It's just odd, but I love it. So this time I did what I've been meaning to do, which is I timed it and I found the non-singing part is a full minute before you get to the 42 second long actual singing part. You know, it's truly won me over. Great pump up song for sure. In any event, at the end of my last chat with the fabulous Rachel Law, we chatted a bit after the recording stopped and we both agreed Scotland could be in trouble in this one. And sure enough, a minute hadn't ticked by before the home team coughed up their first penalty with Buffelli easily pegging the open opening points of the match. That's right. If they'd been playing their anthem, they would have scored before the singing started. <laughs> so to Palatu, he answered with his first ever try for Scotland. And I, I looked over and I noticed Hope peeking its little head above the, the other side of the table. So I had to squirt it with a water bottle just to make sure it stayed away like a naughty cat. So just after the first quarter, it was a red card for the uh, for the Pumas with a nasty whack on Jamie Ritchie. So there would be no excuses for the results on this day. And by the way, if they make an NFT of Duhan's face after being on the receiving end of some Finn magic for that try, I mean, sign me up now. That, By the way, that's, that try was never a try without Russell. He's just... He's so special. So Darcy Graham's turn came only moments later, or as Johnny Beatty called him, the Scottish Cheslin Colbe. Wow, that's a name that's coming up a lot. The second half turned into a catastrophe for Argentina, giving up two yellows in quick uh, succession, with Scotland already in the lead as well. 15 on 12 it would be for a large chunk when things were already looking bleak. I picked up my water bottle again just to be safe. Scat! Hope! Scat! So apparently I wasn't quick enough because presto, a turnover led to a massive breakaway and the boff was right through the post for a try. After the easy and slowly taken conversion, there were fewer points between these two sides than men on the sidelines. It was 24 to 22 at the three quarter mark. The lead was nine as the yellows expired. I was happy to see Nick Sanchez coming on. I've missed that dude. But then, holy cow, 
It was as close to a legit brawl as I've ever seen in a rugby match. The comms describing it as like like a cartoon where you just see a cloud with sort of fists and feet poking out. Uh, the comms also seemed very disappointed in Jamie Ritchie for getting so involved. A double yellow was the ultimate outcome of that one. As we entered the final quarter, Scotland had more than doubled their guests' carries and meters made, 109-52 to and 801 to 344 respectively, but the lead was still only nine. They just they didn't look great out there, while the Pumas' defense was on fire. Quote, I'm really struggling to understand what Scotland are doing on offense right now, unquote, said Johnny Petey, and yeah, man, I'm with you. So after what felt like an age, Finn, he waved that magic wand again, grubbered one through for Cam Redpath, getting them, to me, some much-needed padding on the scoreboard. I swear, if they were to hold on to win, there's no way Argentina would even feel bad about it, right? Like, they'd been behind the eight ball for a full three quarters of the match and still looked like they might steal it. So, you know, I very much hope in the event of a victory, Scotland don't get carried away, patting themselves in the back. It has not been a strong performance outside of Finn, well, and Darcy, and Duhan, and, and Scoo. Anyway, I know they say shoe, but I know his name's Scumon as well. I'm always torn about it, but anyway, uh, Argentina, they did their thing. They fought until there was nothing left, getting a final try long past 80 minutes. Your final score was 52 to 29, though I swear it felt like a draw. And I have to end the way the comms did. Quote, one red card. Five yellows, more handbags than John Lewis, 11 tries, a brace for Tua Pilatu, a hat trick for Darcy Graham, and a partridge in a pear tree. Just too good. Are you kidding me? So, of course, England versus New Zealand was next. Got to be the match of the weekend. And, you know, I got to start by paying homage to the man himself. It was Owen Farrell's 100th, 100th cap for England. An incredible feat, putting him third on the all-time list for England. And Twickenham was bumping. Even I, you know, uh, even I was moved to see that they put together a nice little ceremony in honor of this accomplishment where they got together just, you know, a group of children who he then swinging arm high tackled, putting only two of them in the hospital. And the other eight all agreed there should be no punishment because what a nice guy he is. Really moving stuff. Really apropos. Eddie Jones set up this match by saying New Zealand were, quote, there for the taking, unquote. And while I desperately wanted him to eat those words... I feared it was absolutely the case. Meanwhile, not nearly as much talked about, Brody Retallick was also on for his 100th. I mean, what a classic fixture. The comms then utterly jinxed the AB's chances by saying, they're arriving here on a six-test winning streak, which is more than England have won all year. Thanks, guys. That clearly meant we were about to see the English win by, like, 30. So, side note, <laughs> I really like the font they used to display the scores at Twickenham. It's, it's very classy, surprisingly. Uh, the reason I noticed was they're showing the 3-17 score headed into the break, and my efforts to keep calm weren't exactly working very well. So, ready for a, a, a rare little tidbit from me? So, Van Portfliet, uh, given I think his first ever start for England based off a great performance off the bench, he had been having a howler for the first half, to the extent that Shanks was calling for him to be replaced after only like 18 or 20 minutes. But... Second half starts, and there he is. And this was one of those rare, okay, Eddie Jones, I really admire your backing the kid in this situation. Good stuff. Uh, of course, inside, I was hoping he would utterly crumble. Uh, Rico Yuani, after a few frustrating outings in a row, and ha uh, after having at least two tries called back just in November, he finally got his shot, the recipient of a gorgeous pattern to break him out on the wing where no English player had the, pa the pace to catch up. What a relief for him, and clearly for me. 
Six to twenty-two was the score after fifty minutes had gone by. The last ten minutes of this one, though, were surreal. Just more weird calls. TJ Paranara injured. A last-second try and conversion draw. I don't know if New Zealand they thought maybe they thought they were safe and just switched off, but the team they were for most of this match was nowhere to be found. A lot of people have gone after Marcus Smith, by the way, for kicking it out when they theoretically had a chance to go for the win, but I'm not one of those people. Anyway, definitely an odd one. Uh, I'll tell you, most of my notes were actually just me raging against them, constantly belting out swing low. You know, it's a truly idiotic and frankly gross tradition, but I decided against boring you with all that stuff. So suffice to say, Maro Atoje is one of the most high-profile and well-respected players on earth, and he has come out to say it's racist and offensive more than once. You're in the stadium to show him your support, and yet there you are, singing away again and again and again. What kind of fans are you? Anyway, that did take us to Ireland versus Australia. I had sort of rough-hewn notes at the beginning. Um, I noted that the, the record between these teams, surprisingly, was uh, seven wins for Ireland and 11 to Australia. I was surprised by that one, and I also wrote down, that's about to change. Um, the Australians have been averaging 14 penalties a game. Obviously, you know, 10 or less is really where you want to be. And by the way, have you noticed when Johnny Sexton is playing, he's Johnny, and when he's out, he's Jonathan? It's a weird thing the comms do. Anyway, this one was uh, was literally as close as you can get. The Irish holding a 3-0 lead at the half. It felt like the Aussies just couldn't get a break. Um, but I simply can't spend any more time commenting on the officiating this week. I don't know. I feel exhausted with that. So after more than 50 minutes gone by, my guy, Ryle Nugent, said on comms, Australia, you feel as every minute ticks by are gaining more and more in confidence, and Ireland are beginning to look at each other. But, of course, at the time, the scoreboard was still three to zip. But then around 55 minutes, Bernard Foley scored a penalty. It was three to three after three quarters. I mean, damn. So... As Ryle Nugent said, 65 minutes of nothing, then two buses come in, is the way it was the way he put it. Uh, it was 10 all with 10 minutes left. I mean, so good. Ireland, they went on to win by a single kick, which just feels so typical for the reeling wallabies right now. A lot of controversy in, in this one as well, you know, surrounding an obvious concussion to Nick White and the fact that they had him go to the media afterwards to say, no, 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 it was fine. It just it felt gross. Uh anyway, in the end. I hope he's all right. It was a bit frightening to see. 13 to 10, all told. And the Irish, they look like they're on a roll. So, speaking of teams on a roll, France easily defeated Japan then in Toulouse, 35 to 17. Uh, they have, for the first time, won every single match in a calendar year, said the comms. Now 13 games on the trot. That's amazing. They are so ready for whatever comes at them in their next World Cup. You know, 2023, it can't come quickly enough. Uh, Damian Penno, by the way, getting another brace, has to be the player of the autumn. I mean, he's just doing magical things out there. I said it last week, and I'll say it again. World, look out. my friends by that music you will know that it's time for this week's diamond in the ruck award this week the award goes to vassal lobanadza mr lobanadza you were the proud player of the match for an historic milestone for your country delivering a victory in a place that is a true palace a bastion of rugby and you did it with style my friend at the end of the game 
They asked you if you and your team believed they could come to Cardiff and beat a tier one nation. And your calm reply was, we, each and every one, believed we could win from minute one to the very end. And that is exactly what you did, sir. Stats can't begin to tell the story in this one. So let me just say congratulations to you, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck. You made history this weekend, my friend. Well done. So that does bring us to our previews and updates. And you know what? Next week, our usual suspects are back in action with the Prem, the URC, and the Top 14 all returning to normal operations in the Top 14. We'll have five Saturday fixtures, followed by two on the Sunday, beginning with La Rochelle versus Cast, Poe versus Breve, Perpignan versus Bordeaux. Oh, come on, guys. Oh, by the way, Bordeaux Begla just fired their coach, by the way. I-, I can't believe I didn't even talk about that. Maybe I'll save it for next week. Um, Montpellier uh, will be playing Bayon. St- uh, Stade Francais will be playing Toulon. Holy crap, that's going to be good. The Sunday fixtures will be Racing versus Claremont. And finally, Lyon versus Toulouse to finish the round. Over in the Prem, the adjustments they've made on the schedule uh, don't kick in quite yet. So it's just the four matches again this weekend. Starting with a belter, it's Harlequins versus Gloucester. Oh, that's going to be good. Then Newcastle versus Exeter. Both of those will be on Friday. On Saturday, it's Sale versus Bristol Bears. And it'll be Leicester Tigers versus the London Irish on Sunday. In the URC, it's round eight. We'll have two Friday matches, Stormers at home for Scarlets and Ulster versus Zebre. Then on Saturday, whew, it's a bumper crop. It'll be Bulls versus Ospreys, Benetton versus Edinburgh, Leinster versus Glasgow. Ooh, wow. And Munster versus Connacht. And then on the Sunday, it'll be the Lions versus the Dragons. And finally, the Sharks versus Cardiff. I, for one, am excited to get back to the club scene. It's been a weird autumn series, I would say, for sure. Well, my friends, that does it for yet another week. I hate to admit it, but it was kind of nice having significantly fewer matches to cover this week. Really gave me some extra time, you know, to see some friends and do some really fun stuff with the family. So for six years before COVID, my friends and I, every single year, we had a tradition we would uncreatively call the annual pre-Thanksgiving brunch. Um, Every Sunday before the the, uh, Thanksgiving Thursday, we'd all get together, you know, eat great food, have great drinks, and just enjoy the company we don't get to see as much as we would like to. We were finally able to reinstate that tradition this year. It was such great fun. Thanks to everyone who made it out there. It has been far too long. So, as always, thanks again for coming along. To all of you across the globe, cheers. Talk to you soon. And be well.